If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to an Old Testament book, Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, we'll be reading in just a moment out of chapter 20. If uh, you did not bring a Bible this morning, fear not, we will post those verses on the screen for you today. For those of you that did, though, you may want to go ahead and find Second Chronicles chapter 20, and we're going to continue teaching in this area that I entitled, We Win. And I emphasized, I emphasized the, the word we. We win. And of course, if we win, that means you and I as individuals uh, win as well. And so we've just been spending these last couple of weeks attempting to restore in all of us, especially all of us as the church together, a corporate mentality of victory. Sometimes I think just by virtue of living life. Uh, you know, we go through life, we live life, we, we try to navigate it, we do it as good as we know how to do it, but yet we just take hits. We, we, we have discouragements, we have setbacks. We have things that happen that are out of our control. Our nation currently is in what they call a recession. I know they don't want us to believe that, but if you've ever been to the grocery store lately, and, and have, hey, anybody noticed milk prices? I'm like going, where did the milk prices go to? I remember, I remember you could buy a gallon for milk. This is dating me now. I remember you could buy a gallon of milk for 49 cents. I remember that. It's 529. Have mercy. Anyway, milk's gone up. Bread's gone up. I mean, I mean, these are things that are out of our control. You go through the checkout line and you can grouse and complain and there's nothing you're going to do about it. You just either pay it or you quit drinking milk. I mean, that's your choice. And, and, and so it can be things just of that nature or it can be greater things, you know. Wall Street up and down. You lost your, you lost your, your value on your 401k. Some of you that have pensions attached to... Uh, state uh, budgets and states are struggling your pension you're you're wondering where that's going to i mean there's so many things that are hitting us currently that that we've got to recover not just in the sense of economics but we got to recover in our mentality we, we've got to recover in the church the optimism the bible teaches victory and before you ever walk into a world that's throwing you know, these, these cultural bombs at you before you ever walk into your personal battlefields and challenges, you need to know that you have been designed to be victorious. And, and we talked about that in our very first message, God designed his people to win. Now that doesn't mean we won't face battles, hear me, but he designed us to win. You can't be a conqueror unless you have to conquer something. You can't be triumphant unless there's something that's before you that holds within it the potential to lose. Are you following me? You know, you know, you can't walk around and say you're triumphant and you never get in the game. You're just a big mouth then. But if you get in the game, if you get in the hunt, if you get in the fight, it is there when you battle that you will come forth in victory. And that's the only moment it even counts. So that was... That was week one. And then last week we talked to you about how did we lose? How in the world did we lose this optimistic mentality? And so we, we spent just a little time talking about uh, David and Goliath and the armies of Israel and how they lost this perspective of victory. And if we don't understand how we lost our optimism, I, I think it's just like going down a street 
driving your car and continually forgetting that big pothole that's in the middle of the road. You'll keep dropping your car in the pothole if you don't remember that there's a pothole in this road. Isn't that revelational right there? You, you, you would think people would catch on. Let me tell you, if, if there's things that are going on in your life that are causing you to be pessimistic and defeated, can I just suggest this to you? Once you identify it, don't forget it. And don't do it. Amen. Now we get to today. And this is the moment. I'm really super excited because I listened to the intercessors this morning begin to just manifest victory. And uh, I know my wife, you know, was cheerleading this morning in the victory. And, and this is such really an important illustration because what we did as a church this morning that started in our corporate prayer time, moved into our worship time, and now has come down to this time, you will, you will see the analogy very quickly as to how God uses this in order to produce a real tangible, manifested victory in all of our lives. Because is it not true? All of this is encouraging. I can exhort you. You can be excited about it. But somehow we got to turn theory into reality. We've got to turn a sermon into something of substance that works when I go back out and I got to live life. Amen. I mean, we can, we can, I believe me, I'm the great theory spouter, but some, somehow that's got to transition into reality. And so I just entitled the message this morning, turning crisis moments into a conquering movement. Anybody here ever been in a crisis moment? Oh, come on now. Don't lie to me. Crisis moments. How do I turn a crisis moment into something where I can say I win victoriously? Second Chronicles 20. Listen to this. Won't make sense. I'll make sense out of it here in just a moment. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea from Syria, and they are in Hazan Tamar, which is En Gedi. Don't you love it? When, when you know you're surrounded by enemies and you've got people that are going to help you remember that. You always got those people that, you know, you know where you're at. You know the crisis you're in. And they're just, they're, you know, they're going to they're gonna just tell you to. You, you, you know you got a problem here. Yeah, I know I got a problem. All right, I got it. Verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared. Hmm. And set himself to seek the Lord. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah, meaning all the nation, gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah. This is what's cool. They. You ought to circle that in your Bible. They came to seek the Lord. Now we've been talking now not just about your individual victory. That's that's important. But there comes a moment when we, as a church, have to get an optimistic, victorious mentality. And it says that they, they've got a problem. It's not just Jehoshaphat has a problem. Oh, he's got a problem. But they got a problem too. And so it's important that not only Jehoshaphat gets his act in order, but they 
must seek the Lord. Turning a crisis moment into a conquering movement. Now, everybody will face a crisis moment. That's one thing you can count on if you're a human being here today. You're going to face sometime in your life a crisis. Last week, we, we memorialized 9-11. 9-11 for our nation as, as a citizenry was a crisis moment. But truth is, as much as that 9-11 was a national crisis, we all have our 9-1-1 moments. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but 9-1-1 is the American symbol of crisis. If I just say 9-1-1, you'll only think of a couple things. You may think of the date and the terrorism attack. Or if I said 9-1-1, you'll think of your telephone and how if you dial it, that's how you dial up help because you are in some form of crisis. It's the number we use to say help. Well, Judah, the nation of Judah, was having a 9-1-1 moment. Um, as a people... And as individuals, they were facing a crisis of unimaginable proportions. There's an old saying. You may want to write this down. This may help somebody this morning. There's an old saying that goes something like this. I didn't put it on the screen. But this is how it goes. When God wants to do something great, he always allows a difficulty. When he wants to do something miraculous, he chooses to allow an impossibility. Boy, that one got a lot of amens right there. I appreciate the. <laughs> I'll say it one more time. When God wants to do something great, he always allows a difficulty. When he wants to do something miraculous, he chooses to allow an impossibility. See, some of you are facing, listen to me, some of you are facing giants right now. You are looking at your own personal Goliaths. Facing giants. You are facing crises. Some of you are facing crises that you would label as difficult, but listen to me. Some of you are facing crises that you might even label impossible. And the thing you've got to get in your system is this, that if that is what you're facing, then you are positioned for a miracle. See, that's the thing you've got to remember. Do you like it? No, I don't like it either. But I try to remind myself. That if I find myself in those moments, then God has positioned me to reveal His arm for something great. All of us know the feeling of facing problems. Some of you are facing impossibility. The question is, how do I turn this crisis, this crisis moment? And it doesn't matter what other people think about it, because if it's your crisis, it's a crisis. Because it's mine. So how do I turn this crisis moment into this conquering movement? Well, let me tell you what's going on. So zero in just for a moment. Listen to me. We're going to go through some, some water here, but just listen. And this is going to help you. The kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel at this time uh, had been divided after the time of Solomon's reign. After Solomon, he had two boys. I call them the Boam boys was Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And they got into this fuss with each other. And what happened was, is that the kingdom divided. The Boam boys divided the kingdom. And so instead of one nation, Israel, it divided into a northern kingdom and into a southern kingdom. Now, I'm just scanning over hundreds of years of history. All the kings of the northern kingdom were bad. 
The southern kingdom, which most often in Scripture is referred to as Judah, the southern kingdom had a few good kings along the way. I always thought to myself, it's always the south that keeps the nation right with God, isn't it? This. The southern kingdom had a few good ones along the way. And one of the southern kings of Judah was this guy named Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat, just to bring you up to date, he, he did a lot of good things, but he did get himself into some trouble. As usual, when the kings became successful, and they became successful because they followed God with all their heart, they, they implemented his righteousness, they followed God's ways. The problem is, when God made them successful, they got brain cramps just like we do. And they, they, they enjoy all of this success, and they forget who brought them this success. And so Jehoshaphat, as, as good as he was doing, uh, because God was honoring him, some of that, because of pride and ego, went to his head. He made some bad decisions, some of which, for example, was that he had allied himself with his counterpart in the northern kingdom, King Ahab. And most of you, if you studied the Bible, know Ahab was about as wicked as you could get. But Jehoshaphat wanted to uh, get an alliance with Ahab in order to bring peace and stability and, and so he married into Ahab's family. And then when Ahab went to war, Ahab wanted to fight this little, this little group of people from Ramoth Gilead. Ahab decided he wanted to go fight him. And you see, if you're in a treaty or you're in an alliance with somebody and they decide to go to war, you got to go to war too, whether you really wanted to or not. And so Jehoshaphat has to go to war with Ahab. And uh, it's interesting here that, that all the prophets, the, the, the supposedly true prophets as well as the false prophets, all the prophets were prophesying to Ahab, telling Ahab that he would win a great victory. There was only one prophet that prophesied that they would be doomed to defeat in this battle. Now imagine, we're talking hundreds, probably close to a thousand prophets were prophesying victory, and one lone prophet called Micaiah prophesied to both Ahab and to Jehoshaphat, that if they went into this battle, they would lose. Well, guess what happened? They went into battle and they lost. That one little old prophet got it right. He told them, he said, if you go into this, you're going to get your tail kicked. And by golly, they got their tail kicked. And the only reason Jehoshaphat got out of it with his life, because Ahab was killed, the only reason Jehoshaphat got out of it was he disguised himself. He went incognito. And he was able to worm his way back into the southern kingdom, Judah. And, you know, I just, I just, this is a little side note that I think is just a really good side note to give you for just a moment. To remember that just because you have a majority, it doesn't make them right. Boy, you got to hear me now. You got to hear me now. Even in the church, we think just because you got a majority, somehow, somehow the majority means that's the will of God. And that is not always the case. Sometimes you just that one little old person is the one that's standing. So don't automatically assume that just because the majority of people say it is so, well, they must. How could, because this is what we say, how could that many people be wrong? Let me tell you something. You get that many wicked carnal people together, they can be wrong. Don't you, let, don't you let a crowd sway you what you know to be. Let me tell you, I've had to stand on some fences all by myself. 
And you, you even start asking yourself whether or not you're hearing right. It just don't matter whether the, what the crowd says. Sometimes the crowd, listen, let me tell you something. The broad is the way which leads to destruction. So keep that in mind. I'll just let that one go. Right, so I don't, I don't watch polls. I, I don't care about polls. Polls doesn't mean it's right. Just because 58% of the country thinks this way, it don't mean the country's right. So we've got to keep that just kind of in our, in our psyche. So Ahab's killed. Jehoshaphat escapes. But once Jehoshaphat gets back now to Judah, the enemies of Judah are now emboldened because they've conquered the northern kingdom. And now they say, well, since we got the northern kingdom, let's go after the southern kingdom. And it was their, the enemy's moment to seize all of Israel. Well, lo and behold, the enemies begin to align themselves all around the nation of Judah and now Jehoshaphat wants to get right with God. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Isn't that the truth? When, whenever we find our tail, and I'm being really delicate because I'm working on my vocabulary. Whenever we find our tail in a sling, it's amazing how easy it is to say, I want to get right with God. I got a problem here. I think this would be a good time to get things right with God. It's amazing how some things through the years never change. You put people in a crisis and watch your evangelism rate go up. I mentioned this last week, I think, or maybe I mentioned it on my Facebook site. You know, I'll never forget on 9-11, we opened up the church the evening of 9-11. And I, I watched people stream. We had, we had tried to reach out to an apartment complex and tried to reach out to them and could never get anybody to come uh, to church from this apartment complex. And we'd reached out to them. But on the evening of 9-1-1, after our nation fell under attack, they were literally streaming out of the apartment complex. Coming to church that night, I grabbed my son, Clayton at the time. I said, Clayton, watch this because you may never see this again in your lifetime. People literally streaming to the house of God. Why were they streaming to the house of God? It's because nobody knew when, when or where the next attack was going to take place. We were in a crisis. Let's get right with God. But the minute the crisis is over, people go back to their wayward ways. Now, what, now if you were God, think about that for just a moment. That would aggravate you. Now, be glad that he's full of mercy, love, long patient, you know, long-suffering and patient, because I'm here to tell you, my fuse would be over. I gave you your chance, your toast. Aren't you glad I'm just your pastor? But God is amazing. He's just absolutely amazing. He keeps working and reaching and extending and loving and, and reaching out. And here Jehoshaphat is surrounded by the enemies, three to one. He's outnumbered three to one, at least. Some were hostile, hiding, camouflaging themselves, trying to find a moment to spring on the nation of Judah. So what's a king to do? You're outnumbered, you're outmatched, you're less resourced. And to be candid, you're just now getting right with God. How do you turn a crisis like this into a conquering movement. How do you turn your crisis into a moment of victory? 
How do, you, how do you turn corporate crisis or national crisis, which is what we are facing in America right now, how do we turn our national crises into a victory? How do you do it when, when, when you're looking at bills that you can't pay? How, how do you turn that around? How do you turn it around when your marriage is falling apart? How do you turn it around when you receive the pink slip that tells you that you're either laid off or you're fired because there's no more money or, or the business is closing? How do, you, how do you turn it around when, when false accusations are thrown at you and when your world is under siege in some form or fashion? I mean, you can fill in the blank, whatever your crisis is, you can fill in the blank, but, but what do you do to find victory at that particular moment? Well, I'm going to give you just 10 things, and I know that sounds like we'll be here till next week. I'm going to go through this quickly because I think they're just self-evident. And I'm going to do this quickly so you can get your pencil or your pen ready. You need to write these things down because if you're not in a crisis right now, number one, just be grateful. But I'll tell you this, you'll get in one sooner or later. Everybody does. So you need to have it at your disposal in order that you can move through your crisis. What did, what did Jehoshaphat implement to turn his crisis moment into a conquering moment? Number one, we're just going to walk through the scripture here. The first thing he did was... He got a victory vocabulary in his prayer life. A victory vocabulary. Here in verse 6 and 7 of that same chapter, it says, he's praying. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms and nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are, are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? The first thing Jehoshaphat does is he gets his vocabulary right. What does he do? He doesn't just go to his knees and start whining instantly. He goes to his knees and he begins to extol the power of God. He is literally speaking the victory from the beginning. You do know, don't you all know here this morning, that the battle is the Lord's and that he hasn't lost one yet. I hope you get that. You know, God goes into battles and, he, and he's got an unblemished record. So he begins to extol the virtues and, and the loftiness and the incredibleness, the awesomeness of God. I'll never forget years ago we pastored in a little town in Ohio years ago, and we have our midweek service, and it was literally prayer meeting service. Some of you that grew up in churches like that will remember when, when midweek was literally, you know, prayer meeting week, and you came and you prayed. But I will never forget, bless their hearts, we would gather to pray, and of course, I was super young at the time. And when we, when we opened it up for prayer, it would be amazing what you would hear. They weren't prayer meetings, they were groan meetings. Groaning, oh God, the devil's beating me up. Oh, God, how will we make it? Oh, God, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. This is what I think we think. I think that if we solicit God's pity, he's more apt to move. I think that's what we think. I think if I, can, if I just show myself pitiful, God will move. This will, be, this will be so helpful. Forget that. God will not move because you're pitiful. You may be pitiful, but that's not why God's moving. Okay, listen to me now. This will be re very, very helpful. If God moved toward the pitiful, he'd be moving toward a lot of people. 
Why doesn't, why doesn't it seem like he moves with as many people? It's because pity doesn't solicit God. Faith solicits God. That's why you begin to declare the greatness of God. He wants your faith. He wants you to believe him before you ever go to battle. He wants you to believe him at the beginning and not just when you get what you want at the end. Before the thing ever starts, you just begin to declare the victory. That's why this morning in this service, I know there's going to be victory here because at 9.30, we were declaring the victory before we sang the first song. Amen. And if you'll do that on the first of the week, the rest of your week will find victory. If you'll do it first thing in the morning, the rest of your day will be that way. Declare the victory. That's what he did, number one. Number two, he did admit he had a crisis here in verse 10. He said, now here are the people, and he, and he labels the people whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. So Jehoshaphat's really putting it on the Lord. He's saying, listen, listen, we could have dealt with this years ago, but you said don't do it. As if, it is kind of humorous that he would do this, saying, hey, Lord, I wouldn't even be in this problem if you'd have just got your act together. You know, I mean, but anyway, but it says in verse 11, here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. See, what Jehoshaphat is saying here, which is really cool, he's saying, Lord, I want you to know it's just not my problem. It's your problem, too. It's not just my crisis. It's your crisis. And, and I tell you why that's important. It's because he understood covenant at that point. And you got to understand that when you're in covenant, your crises aren't just your crises, but your crises are God's crises. And I cannot tell you how many times when I've got on my knees, I've looked at the Lord and said, listen, Lord, I'm just doing what you asked me to do. I didn't make you speak it. I didn't make you say it. I didn't make you write it in your word. I didn't make you prophetically declare it. This is what you said. This is what you put out there. I'm just trying to do what you said I should do. And as I'm doing it, I'm in the middle of this crisis. So I just want to remind you that we're in this thing together. And that my crisis isn't just my crisis. It's your crisis too, Lord. And, 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 and if you haven't noticed, we got a problem here. We got a problem here. Come on, if you married somebody that you believed was the will of God, which hopefully everyone in this room who's married, in fact, I'll just settle it right now. Thus saith the Lord, whoever you are married to right now is the will of God. See, we just settled that. That's God's will. So now, when you're in a crisis with your marriage, you can say this, hey God, I got a marriage crisis here. I want you to know we're, we are in this together. This was your will. Admit you got a problem. It would have been a waste of time to downplay it or ignore the situation. It's a crisis. It's okay. We got an issue here. See, I'm a firm believer that until you reach the point that you can admit you got some problems, I don't know that God is ready to fix your problems. Come on now. If you, if you, if you, if you look at me and say, I don't got any problems, well, number one, we'll cast the spirit of lying out of you because, because I guarantee you there ain't a human being that I, I've run into doesn't have one problem. You got problems. You just don't want anyone to know your stuff. But here's your problem is, is that you won't let anyone know. And in turn, you don't let God know either. I got, a, I got an issue here, Lord. I need help. Number three. Then he had to cease his fleshly ways. He had to get himself out of the equation. Verse 12, it says, Oh God, oh God, will you not judge them? Listen to this. For we have no power 
against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. I, I just think this came, I didn't plan it this way, but I, I just believe this, this series, if it's not for anyone else, boy, it has been great for me to restudy and relook at God's word in some of these battle passages that we've been sharing. You know, the land project that we're currently in here at church, I mentioned to you last week, it has really challenged my flesh. Um, I have, uh, I actually have people who, who aren't even associated with our local church that has heard about what's going on and they're ready. They've been, they've become offended for me. I, I, I mean, they, they kind of honor, you know, I'm honored that they would be offended for me. But, but, but they don't need to be offended for me. In fact, some of them, they want to go down and, 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 you know, they've even ostensibly kind of alluded that, hey, you know what, I understand you can't say some things, I can say anything. <laughs> and, and you want to go, you want to say, all right, go for it, <laughs> you know. You know, but hey, I appreciate their support. But folks, we can't fight carnally. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And it's critical when you're in a crisis because that's the moment everybody's flesh, their carnality wants to jump in the equation. We want to get mad. We want to get angry. We want to do something that's just birthed out of our feelings. We want to just, because it makes us feel better. I mean, how much stuff gets done by the arm of flesh, by just our emotions, our, our lack of restraint, and we miss miracle moments. We're impatient, we're angry, we're impulsive. We work in the flesh, and, 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 and then as we work in the flesh, we say, well, I just give Jesus all the praise. Well, Jesus wasn't in your flesh. That must insult him. So cease your fleshly ways. Number four, keep your focus on God and not the crisis. Keep your focus on God and not the crisis. Then he goes on to say after that, the last of verse 12, but our eyes are upon you. It's okay to admit you got a problem, but then you got to set your eyes on the Lord. Is your problem challenging? Is your problem screaming for your attention? Absolutely. But that's why you've got to choose to set your eyes on him. Everything around you is going to be screaming for your attention. That's why you have to pray. That's why you have to get in his word. That is why you need to get to the house of God. You see, the reason we come to the house of God right now is because this is a reprieve from the noise that we hear out there that's trying to capture our focus and attention all the time. For just a moment, you can be reminded to set your eyes not on your circumstance, but on Him. And I don't know how anybody goes seven days. Really, I can't imagine going seven. You ought to be here sometime during the week. How can you go and not be reminded to set your eyes on him? These things reset your focus. Number five, we got to involve everybody in the house. It says, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. I, I've never had read that verse before. I always zipped by it to get to some of the other stuff. But I wrote down here, involve everyone in the house. See, when you're in a crisis, I think it's good, both personally and corporately, to, be, uh, uh, to, let, to let the younger ones be involved in the process. Can I just share this with you? I think we, we haven't taught our kids how to get victory. 
How can they get victory if you never let them see or face just a problem or two? Now, I'm not saying you, you throw them to the wolves, but some of you have so insulated your kids that by the time they're adults, the first problem they have, although you know how to get through it, that's the first time they ever faced it. And they're like confused. You got to let them know how to win a battle before they're out there on their own. Now, obviously, it's going to take wisdom because there's age-appropriate disclosure. I, I understand these things. But don't keep them in the dark. One of the things we've done in our household with our children is that we've not kept much in the dark with them. People have criticized and thought you ought to protect your kids. Hey, listen, my kids are battling through issues. And they're learning to win. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfect. They're no more perfect than yours are. But the point being is, we've got to teach them how to win a battle or two along the way. And so if I looked at Pastor Noah, I'd look at Pastor Noah and say, no, it's our, it, it, we gotta, we got to teach the men, we got to teach the young people, we got to teach them how to win some battles. you got to get them in the hunt with some things. Pastor Tracy's with the women, and, and she works with the kids on Wednesday night, and I know Pastor Tyler works with the kids. Come on, there's got to be some investment here. We're training a generation to be conquerors. How can they be conquerors if they don't understand how a battle's won? If all they see is you get in the flesh and you do carnal things, that's how they will fight their battles. So we've got to show them and begin to model to them what it takes to win a battle. Amen. Are they praying? Are they believing? Why not bring them? Sometimes your kids have more anointing than you do. They can get a healing quicker than any adult can. They can get answers quicker than any of us can get. Bring them into the equation. We're so worried about it'll bury them. Jesus said the kingdom could be compared to, to that which comes to little children. And I'm sometimes wondering if we couldn't learn through little kids. I mean, it was David who was a little kid that took out Goliath. He was just a teenager and he took out Goliath. All the adults were sitting there having committee meetings. And David shows up with his slingshot and says, I think I can fix this. He understood. Number six, then you got to listen for instructions. There's a whole several verses here about the prophetic utterance that came forth, telling them what to do with regards to the battle they were about ready to face. In fact, the, the word was in verse 17, you'll not need to fight in this battle. Just position yourselves, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. Don't fear, don't be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them for the Lord is with you. So they listened and they began to hear the instructions of the Lord. What's God saying to you in this crisis? You say, well, I don't know what he's saying to me. I know because you're focused on your crisis. Get focused back on God. Are you listening? Are you open for counsel? Does anybody else get to speak into this? I'm just sharing this with you that I've decided in the next probably nine months, I'm bringing in numerous voices to speak to us. I mean, I like to preach as much as anybody, but I think we need to hear some voices. It'll speak to us as a church. And then we're going to be bringing in numerous people so we can begin to hear what God's saying. And, and we don't want to miss marching orders. I don't want to miss marching orders. Listen for instruction. Then number seven, commit yourself to obey. It says in verse 18 that he bowed his head, Jehoshaphat did, to the ground. And all Judah with him and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord and worshiping the Lord. So whatever the Lord begins to speak, we hear. And then once you hear, you cannot be a hearer alone. You must be a doer and you have to obey. And so they begin to, to develop the strategy to obey. 
Number eight, then they did what we did this morning in verse 19. It said the Levites, the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Why did they do that? Why did they, why did they praise God at this moment? It's because it's an act of faith. Before you see anything change, listen to me, your, your situation can be absolutely crushing. It can be, it can be intense. It can, it can contain pressure, the likes of which no human being may even totally understand. But listen to me. You've got, you've got to press into the place of praise where you can begin to praise God even in the midst of your enemies surrounding you. It's an act of faith. I start praising God for the victory before the victory ever shows up. It's easy to praise God after the victory. Sure, sure, when, when the Red Sea was parted and the children of Israel passed through the sea, the armies of Pharaoh went into the Red Sea and then the seas fell back on the chariots. Sure, sure, Miriam could dance. I'd have danced too with Miriam. All them Egyptians with spears and bows and arrows and swords and shields and horses, they're in the bottom of the sea. Yeah, man, I'll dance. It's easy to dance when the check comes in the mail. It's easy to dance when the answer shows up on your doorstep. It's easy to dance when the hospital calls up and says, we're going to wipe your bill clean. You don't owe us anything anymore. It's easy to dance at those moments. The question is, will you dance when you're looking at the bill and you don't have enough money to even begin to pay it? Will you praise him? Will you praise him? You say, well, that's not easy. I know that's why it's faith. That's when God sees it. He knows your problem. He says, for them to praise me right now in the middle of what they're facing, I, I got to move toward them. I've got to do it. And then you move number nine. You got to refuse to be stopped by fear. It says they rose early in the morning. Now think about this. Three to one. Outnumbered. They went to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood up and said these words. He said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. I can tell you why he stood up that morning and said that, because everybody who's gathering ready to go to battle is saying this. You know, we're fixing to get our tails bumped here. Do you understand? It's three to one out there. Some of them are camouflaged and they're hiding. We don't even know where they're at. And we're being told to go out to battle. And you could hear the murmuring going on through, through the armies of Judah as they're getting prepared. And Jehoshaphat knew this. And he stood up and he looked at them and he said, listen, listen to me. Believe in the Lord your God. You shall be established. Believe what we heard spoken from the prophets. And you will prosper. I can tell you what Jehoshaphat was doing. He was driving fear out of the ranks. He was driving anxiety out of the ranks. They were beginning to believe their circumstance. They were believing. You know what fear is? Fear, fear is literally believing what you see in the natural. Fear is believing what the enemy whispers in your ear. And sometimes it acts inside of you with the same force as faith. And, and you fear so much 
things that haven't even happened yet, you begin to fear it that they literally come to pass. And what you begin to do is at that moment, most people go, I knew it would happen. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Oh, I knew. I knew I was going to be let go. I knew. I knew this was going to happen. I knew. And let me tell you something. Really, that was a supernatural moment. Because your fear acted like faith should act, but your fear acted with a force that caused your speculation to come to pass. I knew it. I knew it. I kn- and that's what you walk around saying. I knew it. And, and, and what's so funny is people, people argue with me over the supernatural aspects of faith, but they prove it every time they operate in fear. That's why Job said, the thing I feared the most has come upon me. Sure, you keep fearing, it will come. Because that's a force inside of you. But, but he drove out that fear. And he said, we believe, we believe God. Will you believe God? Will you believe what God has said? Will you believe this word? Will you believe that you are triumphant in all things? That you are more than a conqueror? That greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Will you believe that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in you? Will you believe that the battle is not yours but the Lord's? Will you believe this? Pastor, why are you so loud about it? Because I'm driving your fear out of here. Some of you are so entrenched in your fear and you're so established in your fears that it takes me hollering just to get your attention and drive that fear out of you. Your theme song for your life is gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Isn't that, isn't that sad that I would remember a song from Hee Haw? Years ago. It's funny, some of you remember too. You can't memorize a Bible verse, but you remember that song from Hee Haw. I got people, people come up to me. I just can't memorize the Bible, but you got that hee-haw song memorized. Something ain't right there. Just something ain't right. Come on, believe God and you will be established. And then lastly, it says here, number 10, step out and anticipate the victory. Now, I tell you, would you just let me do this? Hey, all the musicians and singers, just come on up here right now. Just come on. Make, make your way up here right now. And as they're coming, listen to me, okay? Don't get sidetracked. Listen to me. There's a fine line between foolishness and faith. There's a fine line there. I will admit that. Um, and I just want to say this. If you want to see miracles take place in impossible situations, then you're going to have to find that line. Because you'll be right on the brink of foolishness. It'll seem to everyone else. Listen, listen to what happens. It says that here in verse 21, it says that when he, meaning Jehoshaphat, had consulted the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who would praise 
the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, this is really kind of comical to me whenever I read this because literally what Jehoshaphat was doing was he was gathering up the choir, gathering up all the worshipers. Now think about this. They're about ready to go to battle. He says, he says to all the choir worshipers, he says, I tell you what let's do. Let's put you guys up front. That's right. Just you, all you guys, you just got, you guys go on up front and we're going to go to battle. You know, you wonder what was going through his mind at the time. Like, like I got an extra guitar player. We can keep him in the back. If we lose that one, I mean, what do we need? You wonder, you kind of wonder. But he's, it's just an odd strategy. Next week, next week I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about the, the strategies of the Lord when he brings your victory about. Because let me tell you something, he will bring your victory about by a way that you know not. You think you know how God works, and the minute you think you know how he works, he's going to do it exactly, probably the opposite, just so he'll show you that you can't use the arm of flesh. But he, he throws the choir up there. He throws the, the musicians and the worshipers up there. And uh, he says, this is what we're going to do. We're not, we're not going to practice sword fighting. We're not going to let the archers practice their archery. We're not going to do all that you would do with normal preparations. i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send the choir up in front of the army, and we're just going to sing. Isn't that, isn't that a great battle strategy? Let's just sing. Sing. And everybody, I'm sure, was right there going, yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. you got to understand, great victories will take great faith. Nobody wants to be thought of as a nut. Who signs up on the nut list? Who, who says, I'm taking the class on being a nut for Jesus? No, nobody wants that. Everybody, everybody wants to be accepted and affirmed and received. And all the things that you and I want as human beings, we want everybody to, to think the best of us but there comes a moment that if you're looking for victory in your circumstance, you're going to have to step out into some place you may never have been before. You've got to do it. And listen to what happens. Verse 22. Now, when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord, listen to this, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who'd come against Judah, and they were defeated for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. What happened was they started fussing with each other. All of these people that had arrayed themselves against the armies of Judah suddenly as they were singing began to turn on one another, killing one another. And then when they made, it says, an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So, verse 24, when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Now, all I can assume is the last one there, as tragic as it is, I guess, killed himself. Because they'd all died that day. All the enemies had died that day on the battlefield. Now, listen, verse 25, when Jehoshaphat... And his people came to take away their spoil. 
They found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies, precious jewelry which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Is that not amazing? Three, day, three days. I mean, and you think how big these armies are. Of course, they were three to one. It seems to make sense. It'd take three days. Listen to me. Whatever problem you've got today, whatever circumstance you're in, whatever crisis you're feeling, here's the deal. Here, the pattern says, will you praise him? See, Job got out of his mess when he was able to say, though he yet slay me, still will I praise him. No matter what I'm facing, still will I praise him. No matter what the circumstances, Lord, still I'm going to praise you. I, you know, however this thing turns out, the truth of the matter is, it may be only one skirmish in the greater war, but, but this much is true. I win. There are times I probably didn't look like I won, but if I know my God, this much I know, I ultimately win. Because He wins. He wins. He wins. See, my, my deal right now, you know, my, my, my marriage is great. I love my wife. We've been married 30 years. Probably the best place we've ever been in our relationship. And so that's wonderful. I've had, we've had days, haven't we, when there have been challenges? A, a couple. A couple days. Um, you know, I, I, my, my children are in a good place, so I'm like grateful for that. We're at church at generals in a good place. I mean, a lot of my life is in a good place. I got a, I got a tree, though, in my life. It just stands there, taunts me. And all the peripheral issues that you don't even know. And I cannot tell you how many times I said, Lord, if, 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 I, if this isn't you, then I'm more than happy. I'm more than happy to say, here, have it. Just take it. And I haven't heard that to be the case. So I've got, I've got to assume from this point, Lord, then if this is your will, then you and I got a problem here. You and, I, you and I got an issue, not with each other. Did you not create that thing? In fact, you created untold numbers of trees. Oh, this one is no big deal to you. And it can look as if one little thing is that thing that will take you out. But I'm just here to tell you that, that, that great victories need great faith. If it's your crisis, it's your crisis. may not seem like much to you because you're not in the hunt. And you could tell me your crisis, and I might say, well, I'm sorry, I'm sympathetic. And it may not mean that much to me, but it's your crisis. It's important to you. And here's the deal. Will you praise him? Will we praise him? Will we praise him? I don't, if, if God were to just take it all away, would we still lift our hands in a mall and praise him? If God never gave you that next place that you felt like was His promise, would you still lift your hands? Let me tell you something. We just need to lift our hands and praise Him that no matter what the end looks like, and I may not know the whole ending of the story, I know this much. I win! We win! You win! But you got you got to reach that place. So stand with me right now. Everybody's standing.